glad that you're here for uh, week six of our Current Issues Biblical Answers sermon series, and we've looked at a variety of topics. Today we're talking marriage. Before we get there, I've got a plethora of announcements. One thing that you need to be aware of is due to the weather, we have made the decision that First Kids and Reveal will not meet tonight. So there will be no uh, children's or youth ministry taking place tonight. Great time for a family night. So parents make the most of that opportunity. I know the small groups that meet at the church will not be meeting. If you're in another small group, maybe that meets on another location, check with your small group leader. But that is the case. Also, following second service today, blood pressure checks will take place in the library. Normally, we do that the first Sunday of the month. We switched it around this month and uh, have decided to do it today. So take advantage of that opportunity. Um, I was told that Clinton High School has a lot to celebrate um, there was a state dance competition yesterday, 97 different performances between the high school and junior high team. High school got second in lyrical dance, junior high got fourth in jazz, first in lyrical dance, and state grand champion. So if you're a dancer, stand up. We want to applaud you this morning. Great job. That's awesome. Way to go. Way to go. That is awesome. Uh, next Saturday, we've been talking about this mobile food pantry, and we have made a change. The mobile food pantry is actually going to meet in the cable building. We'll be giving the food away in the cable building, and because of that, it's going to take a lot longer to unload, so I need able-bodied men that can give me one hour on Saturday morning. I need people that can do the whole time, but I especially need able-bodied strong people, and I guess women could be able-bodied and strong as well, but that can help unload a semi-load of food from 9 to 10. We do have sign-ups at the Welcome Center. You can um, text me, send me a Facebook message, we'll get you signed up, but I uh, need a lot of volunteers this Saturday for the mobile food pantry. Pancake breakfast is March 12th. If you're selling pancake tickets, raise your hand. Find these people. They're selling pancake tickets. Um, crosswords is going to be great. We're going to be doing a sermon series on the words of Jesus uh, for the month of March leading up to Easter on March 27, the words of Jesus while he was on the cross. Believe it or not, he said seven different phrases or sentences while he was on the cross. We're going to look at that. And the Intentional Church Conference just around the corner about two months away featuring J.K. Jones and Tim Harlow. And uh, it's a great day to, to talk church and to learn from people that are doing some great things in the name of the Lord. We've talked politics, abortion, immigration, homelessness, sports. Next week, we're going to talk about education. In two weeks, we're going to look at social media. But today, it is marriage. And I want to give you some context as, as we dive into this series on current issues. And it's going to seem kind of depressing. I'm just going to tell you right now. Here's the context. Number one, the U.S. marriage rate has reached an all-time low. Never been as low as it is now. And if you look at the builder generation, Brokaw called them the greatest generation. They had a very high marriage rate. And you look at um, the, the 20s and the 20-year-olds and the 30-year-old, that generation today, the millennials, um, very, very low marriage rate. And from the builders to the busters, Xers, millennials, it just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And so um, that's just reality. That's just the context that we live in. My opinion is that traditional biblical marriage is under attack and that more times than ever before people are saying, I don't know if I agree with this one man, one woman forever concept. Um, that seems outdated. That seems archaic. That, that seems hyper-religious. 
And so traditional marriage is under attack. Some people would even say that if you espouse the idea of what I would call biblical marriage, that that can even be construed as hate speech. Certainly not politically correct. Third, the divorce rate of U.S. marriages continues to hover at around 50%. And there's a bunch of studies out there. You can look a lot of different directions, but the the Atlanta Journal-Constitution did a study just last year that said, yeah, U.S. marriage rate has a divorce rate of about 50%. And so again, that's just there. And then I don't think there's any disputing this. We live in an overtly sexual culture. And this is creating challenges and consequences for marriage. You you can't watch the evening news. I don't know if anybody even watches the evening news anymore, but um, I do from time to time. And the commercials that come on the evening news, you know, I wouldn't want my eight-year-old or nine-year-old or 10-year-old to see. It's all around us. And, and I think that's putting real pressure on marriages. I think that's putting real pressure on people that maybe are contemplating marriage or considering a relationship. And, and so that's context, and that's Debbie Downer. You're like, wow, that's depressing. It's Valentine's Day. Isn't there any good news? Can't you give any, anything to smile about? We did have the couples that we honored. That's good news. But this isn't a series, Current Issues, Greg's Opinion or current issues, conventional wisdom. It's current issues, biblical answers. So I want to look at three scriptures today. There's probably 13 to 15 that that we could put up on the screen, but I I picked three. I'm not even sure they're the best three, quite honestly, but they're three scriptures from God's word that drive home uh, truth about marriage. And and I know for some of us, man, we're going to be amening all the way through. And for some of us, man, man, we may struggle with a thing or two that we hear. And I just, I ask you to have an open mind. I ask you to, to, to listen to the Apostle Paul and see what we can learn together about marriage. So what's God's word say about marriage? Well, number one, marriage began as a gift from the creator. The, the narrative is in the creation narrative, Genesis 2, beginning with verse 18. Marriage began as a gift from the creator. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And man, it's at this point we should say praise the Lord. That Adam didn't say, man, I think a dog would be a good idea. Or I think a bear would be a good idea. I mean, wow. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep and while he was sleeping he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh then the lord god made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man and he brought her to the man and the man said this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called a woman for she was taken out of man and for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife And they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And that's a picture of utopia. That's a picture of what God wanted life to be. It's before they ate the fruit. It's before the fall of man. It's before sin. And they were naked and they felt no shame. Just imagine... If we were all naked right now, you don't even want to imagine that, do you? That's just, you don't even want to go down that road. But that was kind of what life was like. Sin really changed everything. 
And so what do we take away from this this passage uh, from the creation narrative on marriage? I think there's four lessons for marriage that we can take from Genesis chapter 2. And if you are maybe from the ages of like 13, 14 into your 20s, and you're not married, I really want you to lock in on these four. Number one is this, marriage begins with separation. It begins with separation. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother. I think most people would say that first year of marriage probably is the most challenging. It probably is the most difficult. And I think one of the things that the creator designed from the very beginning is for this separation. Woman's going to leave her father and mother and going to be with a man. And the two will become one. Marriage begins with separation. Secondly, marriage is designed to be permanent. Marriage is intended to go the distance. I know right there, some of you, man, you don't like to hear that. Because maybe you've experienced the pain of divorce. Maybe you're going through it now. And maybe you hear that and, and you say, it just makes me feel bad. It makes me feel like a failure. Genesis 2, God's blueprint. Let's look at God's blueprint. And and I'm talking to y'all later in the service. Number three, marriage embraces the concept of unity. This idea of a union. This idea that I don't have my rights and you don't have your rights, but we, we are united. We are one. I can't, I can't go through life without her. I can't go through life without him. We are truly a union. And then finally, marriage should re- result in the joy of intimacy. And the two should become one flesh. Now, when you hear intimacy, what do you think? I think sex, right? And, and that is absolutely a, a way that you can experience intimacy. But um, in an overly sexed society, the temptation is to only see intimacy as sex. And I think if we talk to some of our couples that, that were honored today, several more were honored first service, and I think we just ask them to talk about intimacy, that might be in the conversation, but it's so much more than that. It's so much deeper than that. The two shall become one. And so that's the picture of marriage from the beginning. What's interesting, to me at least, about Genesis chapter 2 is when Jesus was asked to kind of take a stand on the whole marriage thing, he goes to Genesis 2, doesn't go to Moses, doesn't go to the law, goes to Genesis 2. We're going to see from the Apostle Paul a little bit later today, he goes to Genesis 2. And so too many times we want to get our perspective, we want to get our our stance, we want to get where we're going to be on an issue from a variety of different, even Bible passages, and Jesus and Paul both go back to Genesis chapter 2. There's something there for us to grab a hold of. Number two, marriage is work, and marriage takes great effort. Marriage is work, and marriage takes great effort. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 7. Now, I'm going to read this passage of Scripture, and the temptation is to only hear the intimacy side of it, to only hear about the physical intimacy. But um, I think Paul's whole takeaway through the entire chapter, but especially here early on, it's more than just intimacy. It's more than just sex. So here's what he has to say, verse 1. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. Well, who wrote about what? Well, he's writing to the church at Corinth, and they obviously had, had written Paul with a bunch of questions. We don't know what those questions were. 
But one of those questions obviously had to do with, should I be married? Should I be single? What's the right answer? What direction should I go? And look at what's on blue. It is good for a man not to marry. Some of you may not even realize that's even in the Bible. Paul says it is good for a man not to marry. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone but also to her husband in the same way the husband's body does not belong to him alone but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time. So that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. And let me just say, read the whole chapter. Read all, I think there's 40 verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Spend time diving in and looking at this. But really, Paul, two takeaways from this chunk of Scripture. And number one is this. Singleness is not a disease. But the Apostle Paul says it's a blessing. Singleness is not a disease, but it's a blessing. And that sounds harsh. Why did I say that? I say that because for too many people... We treat singleness, one way or the other, like it's a condition you need to be cured from. Say we got a 25-year-old guy, nice-looking guy, successful, went to college, has a job, and he's single. And what do people say? Well, what's wrong with him? Can't get a woman? There must be something going on. That's just not right. Or 30-year-old woman loves Jesus, never found that, that, that one that just seemed to be right, just doing life, loving Jesus, doing ministry. And what do we say? Oh, that's, that's so sad. That's so heartbreaking. I got to tell you, I think as a church, we need to repent in a lot of ways for how we have treated people who are single. And so if you're here today and you're single for one reason or the other, you're single because you want to be single, or maybe you're single and you don't want to be single. You didn't want your spouse to leave you. You didn't want to have that divorce. You didn't want to go down that road, but you find yourself right now and you are single. I want you to memorize the words of the Apostle Paul in verse 1. It is good for a man not to marry. It is good for a woman not to marry. You may say, I didn't expect to hear that today on a sermon about marriage. That's not exactly what I thought would be one of the takeaway points. Paul's saying right here, I can do things in ministry because I'm single. I couldn't do otherwise. And it's possible that if you are single today, God is preparing you for a season of service that might not be possible otherwise. One other thing I want to say about singleness. Today is a really hard day. For a decent percentage of our church, and many of them are near and dear to my heart, and it's hard because uh, they wanted to be sitting there in one of those first four rows and have their name read off, but they've lost their spouse. They're, they're a widow. They're a widower. 
And every time we do this, it's heartbreaking for them. So if that's you, and you've lost your spouse, and and today brings up a whole set of emotions, um, I want to just thank you. Thank you for, for your heart for marriage till death parted you and your spouse. Singleness is not a disease, but a blessing. Secondly, there's no I in marriage, even though there really is. I can spell, and I know that there actually is an I in marriage, but I kind of want that phrase to, to ring through our minds that it's not about me. It's not about my desires. It's not about what I want. And the context that Paul uses here is physical intimacy, but put it through the whole marriage, this idea that we are truly a union. We are truly connected, and my body is not my own. I would say it like this, my life is not my own. See, I think if Paul could could say it in in our modern-day lingo, he might say something like this. Marriage is tough business, so be vigilant. Be aware. Roll up your sleeves. Have you ever met somebody and they say, well, we've been married for 60 years and we've never had a single fight. We've never had a crossword. We've just looked at each other for 60 years and just kind of good into each other's eyes. And, you know, you hear that and you want to go, boom, you know, what, what are you talking about? That's not my experience. And that's probably not your experience. I don't really want to hit him, by the way, please. Don't put that on Facebook. But, um, There's no I in marriage. My body doesn't belong to me. My wife's body doesn't belong to her alone. Number three, Paul says marriage requires selflessness. And I think that's a word, it's a long word, but it's a word that, again, needs to ring through our hearts and our minds because too many of us are very selfish when it comes to our life and even when it comes to our marriage. You've heard the phrase, you're not the boss of me. And we've let that kind of creep into our marriages at times. Listen to what Paul says about that in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And then he goes to Genesis 2. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. And so three one-word principles that Paul brings out here. Number one is the word submit. And boy, do we not like that word. Boy, does that make us angry. And it just kind of goes against our nature. We just spent an hour in my Bible school class studying submission, 1 Peter 2, last half of it. 
it's not natural. We don't want to submit. And yet right there in the scripture, we see Paul saying for the marriage relationship, God's plan is that the husband would be the spiritual head of the household. Now husbands, that may mean some of us need to step up. That means some of us may need to make a change. Because for a lot of us, we've just been great with taking a back seat. We've been real good saying, you know, I can do a lot of things, but that's outside my comfort zone. Paul says it's okay to be uncomfortable. Step up. Second one word principle is the word love. And it's an unconditional love. The word is agape. It's a, it's a love. It's a word that's used that's greater than any other word that can be used for love in the Greek language. What do you think is harder? If I have to submit to someone or I have to love someone like Christ loved the church? I think I'd take submission, quite honestly. Because when you talk about how Christ loved the church, oh, oh yeah, he was almost beaten to death and then he died on the cross. He, he died. And so when I read this, um, i, I got to be honest, I feel pretty inadequate. And I'm reminded of the times that um, my love has not been strong enough. It's not been a Christ-like love. I wonder if God hears my prayers when I don't have that love for Marla. When instead of selflessness, I'm, I'm selfish. When I say maybe, maybe there is an I in marriage. And then the third principle is this, this idea of respect. I think it's pretty easy to respect your spouse at church on Sunday morning. I think it's easy to respect your spouse when you're on your best behavior. But if you're married today, I just want you to think, you know, when it's just you and your wife or you and your husband, I mean, is that a word that defines your behavior? Is that a word that defines the words that come out of your mouth? Respect? A mutual respect? A God-centered respect? Three principles on marriage. I, I could stop here. I probably should stop here, but I'm not going to. I want to give you some takeaways um, to, to leave uh, with this message on marriage as we look at Marriage America 2016 in the church and what we're called to do. And number one is this. If you are single, for whatever reason, make the most of your blessing. I almost added a fourth scripture, but it, it, the context of 2 Corinthians 6.14 isn't marriage. It's all relationships. So I didn't really feel like I could say this is a, a passage on marriage, but the principle of 2 Corinthians 6.14 should be memorized by every teenager should be memorized by every 20-year-old. Anybody know what 2 Corinthians 6, 14 says? Do not be yoked together with an unbeliever. Do not be yoked together with an unbeliever. And again, that's all relationships, all context, but I think it's very fair to say it's a principle for success in marriage. And over 24, almost 25 years of ministry, many times I've had people come to me and say, I'm going to change him. You just watch. I'm going to change her. You just watch. He's going to become a follower of Jesus. She's going to become a disciple. And 
Sometimes it has happened. Sometimes it's happened. But more times than not, it's been hard. And hard is putting it mildly. Some would say it's been war. And so if you find yourself single, listen to the words of Paul. And say, God, I'm single. Maybe I don't want to be single. How can you use me? What can I do that a married person couldn't do? What can I do that someone that has a family at home can't do? Here I am, use me. Number two, if you are married, make the most of your marriage. And I know that sounds cliche. Make the most of your marriage. I understand that, but we got to make the most of our marriages. And so I think one takeaway for all married couples, if you've been married for a year or 71 years, like Garland and Dara Stroll, I think a takeaway for everybody is to sit down as a couple and say, you know, the preacher threw out a lot of stuff, a lot of scriptures, statistics, lots of this, lots of that. What's one thing that we can change about our marriage? What's one thing? And if you do that, if you do that one thing, your marriage will be stronger next Sunday than it is today. And, and, you know, maybe you need to really make several changes. Maybe you need to go to a getaway weekend, marriage getaway. What, what's, where's John Rock? What's that thing called? Weekend to remember. You know, maybe you need to do something like that. But maybe it's as simple as we need to carve out 15 minutes every day where we talk, where we communicate. All the wives are giving me thumbs up right now with this whole communication thing. One thing. And then finally, number three, if you're convicted this morning, and I say this with grace, make a change. It's hard when you hear scripture that hurts your heart. It's hard. It happens to me all the time. And the older I get, the more I'm convinced it's the Holy Spirit at work. People will say, Greg, how's the Holy Spirit work? And my answer is usually, I really don't know. I'm not sure. But I know when I'm being convicted. And maybe, just maybe, you're here today despite the storm and the wind and all the stuff that's happening. Because God wanted you to hear one thing. And instead of going, instead of saying, that's not very nice. That's not very politically correct. That's not very culturally relevant. Maybe we need to change today this week marriage big business important 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 times and for a lot of christians that have been christians a long time they're real frustrated because they think that um they're being passed by faith doesn't matter the bible doesn't matter supreme courts are doing this and you know legislators are doing that and we're being attacked And I'm saying it's time for the church to say, we know what God's word says, and we're going to do marriage by the book. Let's pray. God, thank you for today, and thank you for um, the opportunity to be in your word. Your word convicts, and I thank you for that. I, I just praise you right now for the many couples in our church that have been married for decades and decades and decades, and just the legacy that they leave for us. And for those of us that are married, help us to take marriage as serious as we can any aspect of our life. 
Help us to have great marriages, not good marriages, not average marriages, but great marriages for your glory. And for those of us that aren't married, uh, help us to embrace the blessing that the Apostle Paul writes about. We love you. It's in your name that we pray.